Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, where we explore how to make space for everyone in the yoga community. This podcast is brought to you by the Accessible Yoga Association, a nonprofit organization focused on accessibility and equity in yoga. Hi, I'm your host, Jeevana Heyman. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the director of Accessible Yoga. And I'm your co-host, Amber Carnes. My pronouns are she and her, and I serve as president of the Accessible Yoga Board of Directors. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Accessible Yoga Podcast. Um, thanks for joining us today. I'm really excited about our guests um, for this episode. This is one of my favorite people to talk to, Michelle Cassandra Johnson. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jupiter. Hi, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having um, me here. Yeah, of course. I Like I said, I, I love talking with you. I'm just a huge fan of your work and um, excited to talk about your, well, the second edition of Skill in Action, uh, which has just come out. Um, and before I do, I just wanted to maybe talk about you a little bit. I know that you have, well, does it count as three books now that you've written? <laughs> I, I think it does count the three books. Um, okay, well, because you wrote Skill in Action, and uh, and then you know the new, um, the new edition just came out, but it's it's changed a bit, right? Um, yes, it's it's much longer. It's deeper dive. It's what my understanding is different now. Yeah, it's different. And you know, you're. I mean, you're. Your new, your other new book is Finding Refuge, um, Heart Work for Healing, Collective Grief. And um, now this is a new edition of Skill in Action that's just come out again. So mm -hmm. that's basically your third book. You're um, an activist, social justice warrior, um, anti-racism trainer, intuitive healer, of course, yoga teacher. Um, what else have I missed? What else is there about you? Oh, beekeeper, right? Yes, I need to add that to my bio. I am a beekeeper. I just went to see the bees right before this interview. How are they? They're doing well. They've gone through a whole situation this fall, but they're doing well now, which is good. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like we all went through a whole situation. <laughs> I know. It's like, who hasn't been through something in the last, like, uh, well, years, I guess. I know, right? Two years of something. Yeah. Well, maybe it's just life. It just kind of never, never ends. <laughs> um, all right. So I wonder if you could talk to us about this new edition. Like what, what's different in the new edition of Skill in Action versus the original one? Um, yeah. And, and actually, I'm, and one more thing, I guess I'm curious why. Like why write a new edition too? Well, um, a couple of things happened that led to this edition. So I self-published Skill in Action, the first edition. And, um, as you know, like created this body of work and traveled around and worked in teacher training spaces and with yoga practitioners and aspiring teachers to share more about skill in action. And after, um, the murder of George Floyd sales for the first edition, I mean, I, I kept getting all of these requests for the, for the book and for work. And prior to the murder of George Floyd, I was, you know, mailing out a few books a week. Um, the book had done well for sure, but right after it, it just felt like everyone wanted a resource and in particular people who had awakened to this and were part of the spiritual community. And so Shambhala Publications, who you know well, who published Finding Refuge, they, my editor reached out to me and said, do you want us to 
to take this over because I was mailing books out of my house and all of a mm. sudden I had like an mm-hmm. 400 orders or something. And I was like, there's no way I can, <laughs> I can do this. Right. Like, this is not what I, I mean, I'm a person like working all the time, wrapping up these books and mailing them. And so that happened. And then what came from that is a conversation about a second edition and what, what that might look like. So that's one reason why. Um, and also that I feel like, you know, my engagement in the industry of yoga and my understanding of justice and yoga and the intersection and my conversations with people who are also doing this work, like that's just deepened my understanding of what it means to be skillful at this time and why we need to be skillful. And my, you know, studying of the the practices has helped me talk more about what skill in action actually means um, or how to engage, for example, the Bhagavad Gita. So this edition really came from my own, you know, the deepening of my own practice and study and experience, um, and from traveling around the country and meeting with people who had the same questions I did, or who were struggling with things like, how do I actually teach this in a 60 minute Asana class? Like all the things people asked me that were not in the first edition, right. Led to the second edition. So it feels like it's, it's an extension of my story. It's also like community as well. Um, and all of the communities I've been in, in over the past few years talking about skill in action. Mm, exciting. And actually, I think we can give a shout out to Beth Frankel because we both, she's our editor for both of us mm-hmm. at um, Shambhala. And she just, I know personally, just incredible support for me and my work and, and my writing. I uh, imagine you feel similarly, Lisa. I just I feel like she doesn't get any credit. <laughs> but, yes, she's awesome, yeah. though. Beth is awesome. Yeah. Beth is awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, I was wondering about, well, a couple of things. I, I w- I'd love to talk about the Bhagavad Gita a little bit, if that's okay, just because it's basically my favorite text, and I love to study it and write about it. And I'm just curious, like, if you could share that. I know that, I, I know that's was in the original book that you had like a moment where you were, I guess, studying the Gita and you had the realization that these teachings applied. Was that it? Well, Um, what happened is I was teaching a workshop and I didn't know anything about the Bhagavad Gita because it it was not part of my 200 hour training. And so I, I was, someone else was, I was co-teaching and my partner was teaching at that time. And she started reading from the Bhagavad Gita. And I was like, what is this? You know, I had no idea. Mm. And then it was like, oh, I need to learn everything about this or as much as I can, because it spoke to my soul so deeply and really resonated around the way that we live our yoga. Like that's how I heard it based on the verses that she read to us. And one of the verses that she read was yoga is skill in action. So that's Mm. how I was introduced to the Bhagavad Gita. And then you know, obviously it's sitting on my desk, like work with it all of the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I wrote a little bit about that in the first edition, but I wrote more about the Bhagavad Gita and, and Arjuna's, um, the circumstances he was like facing and the the situation in the second edition, I went into more detail. Mm. For sure. Wow. And what, what translation is sitting on your desk? Can I ask, or who do you like to study? Um, well, Stephen Mitchell, and you also told me about one that I need to get. Oh, and yeah. then I have Stephen Mitchell's and well, I have several. I have like five on my bookshelf, but Stephen Mitchell and Swami Sachidananda's commentary as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, those are the two I've worked with the most. But there's the one that you told me about that I want to get. Yeah, I had. Um, I have a few actually. Like in my new book, I list I think maybe ten or fifteen different translations because I, I I really think there's a benefit in studying different ones. Because you get a different, you know, they're translations. So you're getting the influence of that person's mind. That's um, right. And, 
and yeah, but Swami Satchidananda is, he's my teacher and that's the translation mm -hmm. I first was exposed to, um, when I became a yoga teacher and definitely changed my life. I agree. Like to me, the, the yoga sutras are incredible, but the Gita really is about, like you said, skill and action. It's about how to live yoga, not just how to practice personally, but how to take it out into the world, which I think is what you're getting at here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and there's much more detail and there's a chapter that's, you know, what is skill in action? And that it begins with the story of the Gita and Arjuna and Krishna, and I have a few verses in there as well, and then connect that with what's happening here and the war we're, the battles we're um, engaged in at this time. And then thinking about like, how do we, what is our right role and response to this? Um, because we have to make a cho like choice, right? Like Arjuna ultimately had to make a choice um, yeah. after learning the things that he needed to learn from Krishna. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, excited about it. Yeah, and it, it feels like um, a lot of the time philosophy is discussed in yoga context. It's very intellectual, and I love your work is making it more practical and real life and to help, to help us figure out how to live right now with the challenges we're facing, like racism. So it feels like what you've done so powerfully in my mind is you've taken the yoga teachings and applied them to this moment, you know. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I could do this another way, because when I entered yoga teacher training, my first one, I was, as you know, a dismantling racism trainer. And that definitely influenced how I and a, a black person, right, influenced how I heard the teachings and was an activist, too. So an organizer. And so mm -hmm. I heard everything through that lens. Like yeah. I'm sitting here on a mat in a circle with you all and mm -hmm. we're learning about crow pose. But what does this have to do? You know, like, how can you connect this with the world and how we need to show up? And so I know that just my lived experience and my work influenced, and I'm sure this is true for others, how I experienced the teachings and also then let me know well, what's missing like yeah. what is causing us, you know, to not not to talk about these, um, what's happening in re real time, right? The relative truth, and instead yeah. to come into rooms and act like we can practice without, you know, <laughs> bringing the experience of the relative truth and world into that space. So yeah, I love that. I feel the same way because I was an AIDS activist when I came to yoga teaching, and that's how I that was the lens I saw everything. And um, it's funny when we're told like i still feel like some people are saying oh yeah yoga is not about that it's not about that real world experience when what else could it be i mean it's, it's about how we practice internally but also how we act in the world i mean how can you separate those things how can you practice the internal from the external um, right it doesn't seem possible um yeah i had a funny thing i just share a little quick little story that i just watched a documentary someone had said they saw me in this documentary on fauci Mm -hmm. um, that I was in it. I didn't even know that I had, I had had a meeting with him and they put it in the documentary from back when I was doing AIDS activism. Wow. And it just kind of brought all those memories back to me that I kind of, it's funny. It's almost like, I guess I'm older than you, but I feel like there's almost like, um, times in our lives. Like we have like these whole different lives, <laughs> you know, like that was a different life. And I somehow, somehow separated yoga teaching from that activist time. And like more and more personally, I'm trying to integrate those parts of myself. And mm -hmm. like I said, I think that's what I love so much about you is that you just went there directly. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you, how do you find that people, I, I think people are hungry for that. 
but it feels like there's some resistance still. Do you find that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much, um, bypassing in the, in the world because of dominant culture and superiority. And then that shows up in our spiritual communities as we know. And, and, uh, you know, in my anti-racism work, our collective of trainers used to always say that, and I've said this multiple times that dominant culture teaches us to forget and pretend and lie and deny. Um, Mm. and, and so I think there's resistance because of this socialization around for many, like what we're internalizing, like we don't talk about these things or we don't want to reckon with history or we don't want to understand we're like implicated in these things and need to do something in response. And I see that in many yoga spaces, although I would say since I went through teacher training, which was in 2009, I feel like more and more people are ta- are working with the intersection of at the intersection of justice and yoga, talking about this, integrating these things into their yoga teacher training curriculum. Like I feel like that's happening mm-hmm. much more than it, than I w- was aware of in 2009, and I don't think it was. I don't know that it's mainstream now, but it feels more mainstream certainly than it. It was not mainstream in 2009. People were like, what's the connection between justice and yoga? And I was like, what's the connection between the world and yoga? Do you know what I mean? Like what's the connection between what you do on your mat and in the world or on your cushion or as you study? Um, So I've always felt the connection between the two. And um, I think just the polarization that we're experiencing. And I don't Mm. think that's new and the um, things that like lull us back to sleep. You know, I think the things that distract us or the moments when it's like hard for people, right. They've raised their consciousness and then it gets hard and they like are out if they can be out based on their privilege. I think that's the kind of resistance that I see. Um, And, and I think so much of it is not, um, I think so much of it is willful, actually. I think mm-hmm. at this point in time, like, yeah, maybe some folks somewhere do not know that oppression exists, depending on how they live their lives. Like, perhaps that's happening. But many people I come in contact with know exactly what's going on. They may not understand all the complexities or nuances, but they know there's like disruption happening. They know there are wars happening. They know that people are being treated less than. Like, people know this. It's just that, um, beginning to talk about it would mean that we would have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Um, We'd have to like reckon with it and wrangle with it and work with it. And I feel like in so many ways, spiritual practice can be like this for us. It's this, this deep practice. And for others, it could be this escape from, right? Like I'm going to go to this. So I don't think about the other things. And I'm also going to go to this and practice every day. And that means I'm a good person in the world. We're great, but that doesn't guarantee like your goodness is having a positive impact on anyone Mm -hmm. beyond yourself and your experience and your personal transformation. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, how are you using that? It's like you, your personal practice is giving you some kind of more energy, more power, And from the research I've seen, it can just exaggerate what's already going on in your life. You have to actively work to to learn, unlearn the -hmm. way we've been enculturated, especially around racism, I think. And I think that's why your work is so important. I mean, I do think you've made a huge impact. I know that your book is being used by some teacher training programs and that, you know, so many people are inspired by you and learning from you. But do you get tired of it? Like, do you ever get frustrated with having to share that same message to be the one doing it. Like, I don't know. How how does that feel? Well, I mean, this feels like it's so clearly my Dharma and like work in the world. Um, And I would say not just when I say work, not just skill in action, but 
the finding, like the things that I talk about, finding refuge feels connected to skill and action. And it is about grief, but it's also like the grief we feel after we realize or recognize what's going on. Right. So it's, I think talking about the things that people don't want to talk about, I think that's, and like inspiring people to take action in response to that and to raise their awareness. I think that's my work in the world. So I have a lot of energy around it. And I also know a lot's at stake. So a lot, I have a lot of energy around us um, shifting the tide, as I always say, and changing how we are and how we're showing up. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm always inspired by the groups of people I, mm-hmm. I meet with. Like it's rare for me to have an interaction with a group where I'm talking about skill in action and I leave feeling drained or I leave feeling uninspired. Um, at times that does happen depending on the dynamics in the group, but it's, it's very rare. More often I feel like, Oh, there's another group of 15 or 20 people who may not understand like everything I shared with them or maybe at the beginning of their journey, but they're on the path now. And, and that right. inspires me and keeps me, me going. And I feel fully aligned. Like, I feel like this is, I've done many other things in my life mm-hmm. and I feel, and, and I felt aligned in those as a social worker, right. As a, I mean, I'm still a dismantling racism trainer. Right. And, and because all of it's about healing and talking about the truth of what is, is about healing. I feel like it's, it's energizing in that way, which maybe some, I mean, I, I would have the same question for you about the work you do. Like it's, it's a heavy <laughs> lift that we're doing, right. We're like holding the heaviness and talking about it and holding other people's stuff and like trying to raise awareness. It's not easy. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know, I guess racism feels so overwhelming and, especially when there's denial, I guess, like, I just see that there's maybe not in the people that are coming to your programs and stuff. So that's good. You know, maybe you're, you know, you're getting students and followers who are really interested in learning and growing, but it's just so frustrating to see the, um, the way racism is playing out still in society. And I don't know, I guess I'm just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. And what is, yes. I mean, it's different. Our racial identities are different. So specific to racism. Yeah. It's like labor. Right. And I'm, I've, I think what I'm saying about my Dharma is that I've chosen to labor in this way. Um, and, and it feels like what I'm meant to do. And also I need to like, take care of myself, all of that. And in this moment, I feel like, um, I'm seeing something that I haven't seen before. I'm experiencing something I haven't experienced where, the denial is very present, but it's always been. And the like entrenchment and sort of um, how much people want to cling on to white supremacy because they're being challenged. And because like mm-hmm. uh, I'm from Richmond and the Robert E. Lee statue was finally taken down, right? I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. So we have like things like that happening. And then we have, you know, white supremacists doing what they do, storming the Capitol or Trump saying things that he said, like we have that going on at the same time, but I've never felt it this intensely um, before. I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but there feels like there's something like things I never thought would fall are falling. Yeah. I, I, I do. You though? I, I felt it last year, but like, I feel like it's faded. I feel like some of the, I don't know, like the um, efforts at schools to stop people from learning about um, racism oh, yeah. and all that, it just feels like really a, a push, a pushback to what happened through black lives matter. You know, there was such an increased awareness. Like you said, people all of a sudden were more people were ordering your book. 
Um, I hope it's still happening. <laughs> I, I do. I have hope, but I don't know. I just, I get frustrated and I, I appreciate people that keep pushing forward like you are. I mean, I just, I feel like you have so much energy and enthusiasm and openness, willingness to even come here and talk to me right now about it. Um, I just think is really incredible that kind of ongoing energy for this work, even though it's not your work, you know what I mean? It's like, it's the work of white people to undo racism. And yet here you are teaching. Yeah. I mean, I do often think about, well, what happened in some other lifetime that I'm positioned in this way? I do think about that question of like, what happened that this is my Dharma in this lifetime that I'm doing it in this way. Um, and of course I do, work with folks of color too. And you're right, it is white people's work to dismantle this. And I do think that I've seen less and less people showing up for programs, for example. Um, so I do think people have, um, the, I don't know if it's their capacity or their resilience. Like, I think you're right. There was this, like, after the murder of George Floyd and the resurgence of Black Lives Matter, lots of white-bodied folks started to show up. And then I think white-bodied folks got tired. And I often say, well, you know, BIPOC folks are tired all the time because of racism. So, like, you can stand to be a little tired, right, <laughs> and still show up um, because our lives are on the line. So and I've talked to other people who do this kind of work, anti-racism work, in, in uh, spiritual communities or outside of them, and they're seeing the same thing, like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think it's the distractions and the things that move people away and the, the effort, like the work that is required to actually dismantle systems like racism. You know, many white bodied folks haven't been conditioned to do this kind of work and to sustain it over time. It's right. been like you go to the training and you learn and then you're done. Well, no, you go to the training and then you figure out what you want to do. And it's deeper than a training or the 10 books you've read about racism. It's like how you are in the world and how you're in closer proximity to power and how you're being assigned privilege. And therefore, people are experiencing oppression in response to that. It's like the willingness to be aware of that all the time and for that to then change actions and how people show up. Hey everyone, let's take a quick break to thank one of our supporting organizations, Yama Foundation. Yama Foundation makes yoga, art, and meditation accessible to some of the world's most vulnerable communities. They strive for diversity and inclusivity in well-being and recreation so that all people can meet their fundamental right to feel good in their bodies, peaceful in their minds, live colorful lives, and be a part of a caring community. Find out more about their work by visiting their website at yamak.org. That's Y-A-M-A-H-K.org. I, I wanted to focus on this one. I wanted to read a quote from your book, actually. Um, I found a part that I was thinking of about love. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it relates to what we're talking about because I, I feel like... You know, there's this tension to me when we talk about yoga and social justice and anti-racism around um, spiritual bypassing, because on the one level, the teachings say, you know, we're all one, we love each other. But another, you know, in the real world experience um, and the, in the natural world where we have bodies and minds, our lived experience is totally individual and different and racism exists, you know. And so I think it's always challenging in this work to shift back and forth between those two realities, the spiritual okay. one and the earthly plane. Okay. Um, 
And I love what you, the way you talk about love, I think is maybe that connecting force um, between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, this, can I just read this part? This is from your book. Sure. <laughs> um, you say, love needs to be at the center of our practice. It is an act of loving care to intentionally and continuously engage in liberatory practices. Love is the heart and key to our liberation, but only when love is expressed versus just stated. It is difficult to love in the face of hate. It is difficult to love when one's truth is being questioned and doubted. I'm not suggesting that you must love everyone. I'm reminding us that love asks us to aspire to love every being. This does not necessarily mean we maintain a relationship with people who cannot access their love. It does mean we can question what gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up because I do think it's, um, it's so in me, like it's part of, it is part of why I do this, this work. And what I said about, you know, it's difficult to love in the face of hate. And I'm quite sure that my like mother and my ancestors instilled this in me, the capacity to, to love or be so, so open. And it doesn't mean, you know, have boundaries for sure. But the like commitment to our shared humanity is so deep for me. Mm. Um, and love is rooted in that. And I think that's why I'm oriented in this way. But I also, this is a little different than what I wrote in the first edition because um, what I, the sentence of, you know, I'm not saying you have to love, love everyone, right? Um, and I'm saying yoga asks us to aspire to love every being. There's this, te- like yoga asks for that because mm-hmm. we are every being, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to say um, everyone has to love everyone or like need to be boundaryless because let's be real. Like we're in a world where people are being annihilated, right. And, and dying and have been wounded and there haven't been reparations and it's hard to love in that. And so it's a, it's like the, it's like the practice calls us into something bigger. It's this aspiration. Right. Um, Mm. and it's not always possible for me to love everyone or be in a space of love. Like I may be in a, I may love everyone, but like to be practicing love in the way I talk about, I'm not always able to do that. Um, because I'm human and I'm limited and I don't know what I don't know, what I always say, or I'm challenged by certain things, but I'm committed to the practice and what it calls me into around love and humanity and oneness. Um, so I'll be working on that for forever, <laughs> yes. right? That's the assignment. That's part of my ancestral assignment at this time. Yeah. But like, don't you think that it can be misused too? Like that, that it can be... Like, I don't know. I find that it can be like thrown in my face. Um, you know, that's your job as a, as a yoga practitioner is to love everyone, but it's like, well, actually, I mean, that's what I like that you're, I think what I feel like you've done is you've, you've touched the real issue here Mm -hmm. around spiritual, spiritual awakening, which is that, can you be, can you be honest about your human experience and also your spiritual life? You know, can they, can they be integrated? rather than separated. Yeah. And we know that bypassing happens in the name of love and light, right? People bring this up all the time. It's not actionable love they're talking about. That's why I said it's, you know, Mm. it's just a, um, it's, I said, love is the heart and key to our liberation, but only when love is expressed versus just stated, like, Mm. what does it mean for me to show someone I love them or I care about them? That's the kind of love that yoga has called me into. Uh Um, that's the practice I want to be engaged in. 
Um, knowing that I also, when harm is happening, they need to be like, no, I love you. And I'm setting a boundary because I love you. You know what I mean? Like there's that kind of actionable love too, where I love you. And I'm going to tell you the truth about the impact of your actions on me and others. Right. And, and you love me and I want you to tell me too, like, that's the love I want. These are the kind of relationships that I want. This feels like the practice where there's some, it's Mm. not easy, right? It's not easy. The kind of love we're talking about right now. And, and so often in the spiritual community, it's like, it's just a word. Um, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't feel like the practice of yoga to me. It's like an empty word. I I love this because this is one of the things I've tried to address in my new book too, not to (laughs) talk about myself, but this is like, to me, this is the, this is really the core or the heart of the issue. And, and one of the ways I tried to address it in my book is I said that, um, you know, that, that kind what you, what you just described so well is love in action, which mm-hmm. is service to me, which goes back to the mm-hmm. Gita again. It's that's, that's, that's karma yoga. That's what Arjuna is being asked to do is to like actually put love into the way he is acting in the world rather than just like, you know, whatever, think about it or imagine it. Um, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about service. Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? What are you doing? Is what you're doing actually um, an action that is based on love for some other being than yourself? You know, do you actually love me and other people? Or is what you're doing just purely based on your ego mind and what you're going to get out of this situation? Right. Um, That's the question, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That we need to center all the time in our spaces, right? The actual love that you're talking about, which is, as you said, service. It is karma yoga. Yeah, which you described beautifully, actually, right, as actionable love. But I think that's really the same thing as love as an action. I mean, and that's why I always say to me, karma yoga is the hardest path of yoga um, because it's about everything you do. (laughs) It's all the things you do. Do they have love in them? Like, do all of your actions show that love? And it doesn't always have to be to another person. It could be to an animal or or like your bees, Mm -hmm. you know, or... Even objects, you know, I think the way you are in the world, the way you, um, the way you see your place in the world as an equal, um, rather than as the center of it. It's like, it's kind of that issue, right? Like, how do we visualize ourselves and our existence? Are we the center of the universe? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I would say no, but we're an important part of it. I don't think we're the center. Like I always, I know some people think like, I always feel like I'm a small part of something big, right? Yeah. Like I'm, that's kind of my, that's my orientation. That's my, like, uh-huh. I think I was, I was just like raised this way and what I do matters, but it's not, I'm not everything, right? Like I'm not, you know, and I'm so glad my mother raised me in this way um, mm-hmm. because she could have said something different, right? Or my grandmother, right? But they were like, yes, you are very important. And also you're a small part of a big, something big that's happening that you may not understand or may not be able to see. And I come back to that often. And mm. and as you were talking about love, I actually thought about my grandmother, Dorothy, because I was thinking about her on Sundays, we would go to her house after church and eat dinner. And I was thinking about her cooking and like people always say, you can taste mm. the love in the food. Mm. When the way you were talking about love made me think about that. Like, how can we like feel the love in every action? Right. Mm. Um, like how can we, we work on that? And it totally, 
put my mind there. Like she made the best pound cakes and it put my mind like in this pound cake. Like I can taste the love. I can taste the wow. essence of who my grandmother is in the world, right? And how loving it was for her to nourish us in mm. in that way over and over, right? And what does it mean to bring that kind of energy into how I live my life? So, yeah. How do you do that? Like, do you have anything you're willing to share? That's a beautiful example. Oh my God. But I wonder if you have other ways that you bring love into your life and into your actions and yeah i mean one thing and i'm you may have heard me say this before at the end of my prayer every morning i say um may my actions decrease the suffering on this planet my own and others and may mm -hmm. i be of service right like that feels like love to me and i'm like communing with the ancestors in front of my altar and it feels like this exchange in that way and i'm going to move off of the cushion after i finish meditating and praying and then go interact with my dog jasper or talk on the phone with my mother or go outside and see the bees right and how can i carry that truth mm. so it's not just something i'm saying at the end of the prayer and it's wrote like it's just what i do but i actually mean it so that I'm mm -hmm. always thinking about how can I decrease the suffering, which feels like that's a loving act and it's actually necessary. It's what, what we need to do. And that's the language I use, but perhaps people would use different language, but it really is about, I don't want to suffer anymore and I don't want to cause suffering. And so I want what I'm doing to decrease the suffering or mitigate it. Um, that's one thing that I, mm -hmm. that I do. I, I love that. It's like dedication. I think sometimes, um, you know, at the end of my practice, I often dedicate it to someone or the energy or whatever I've touched at that during that practice. It's like, you're, that's what you're saying. You're making a dedication to the world, to the whole universe even. Um, mm -hmm. but I feel like we could bring that into all of our practices because I worry, I worry that, like I said, it, I think before, like if you, um, you can practice yoga in this very internal way and just build up power. But if you haven't if you really haven't thought about what happens to all that energy and power you're building up, like, where is it going? Um, it, it's not necessarily going to serve you if it's just to build up what's already in your mind. But if you dedicate to something, your dedication at the end of your practice to something that you love, whatever that is, um, it'll actually help you. It helps me, you know, to do that, to like focus that energy on something I love. You know, I often think about my children at the end of my mm -hmm. practice and, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's like, something yeah like put the energy there hmm. well, yeah and recognize your relationship with others right that's mm -hmm. part of what happens when we do that the dedication or the offering or the commitment right the devotion to decreasing the suffering um that we're we're understanding our our oneness in that way and our interconnectedness um which of course is more of what what we need and what you shared also made me think about this dedication that when my mom was sick, which um, for folks who haven't are familiar with finding refuge, the first chapter is about her and her mm -hmm. um, navigating the medical system and all of that. Um, but um, when she was sick, I posted a lot about it on social media and it, I was like, I mean, gutted. I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I think my mother's going to die. She's being mistreated. I can't be there. All I mean, so much was happening and I was doing a lot of it, the, the actual like tangible things on my own. Um, but when I posted about it on social media, I know people all over the world were praying for her. Mm -hmm. And if I had never said like, this is going on and I need your support or we're in relationship in this way. And people I've never met were like, 
I've lit a, I lit a candle for her. I'm praying for mm. her. Like that was of service to her because that was energy too and love they were sending to someone they've never met, yeah. you know, that they didn't even have to think about. Yeah. And I know it was happening because later, almost every time I see people like that haven't met me before, if they follow me on social media, they'll be like, how's your mom? It comes up on a contractor asked me how my mom was. She was sick at one point. He's, he's like, how's your mom? I'm kind of oh. like, oh, I shared her with everyone wow. and what we were going through so that they could also hold some of this with me. And that feels like love. Mm. That's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. It's incredible. You're incredible. I love talking to you. Yeah. It's good to, we're just flowing with it. It's good. I know. I, I, yeah, it's funny though. It's that social media thing. just made me think about that. Like in terms of, um, posting, I think sometimes I don't share that much because I don't want to ask that of people. Like sometimes, you know what I mean? It's like funny because I think sometimes my, you know, not sharing is, based in privacy, but sometimes it's also based in like, you know, not wanting attention or not wanting, um, to make the focus on me and my struggles too much, but it, it's so meaningful when we can share honestly with each other. Mm -hmm. And I remember when you were sharing about your mom and it really touched me because I, my mom had recently died and mm -hmm. it just, yeah, it was just really powerful for me, you know, and the love that you shared that you basically, what it felt to me is that in your distress or whatever it was, I don't want to name it for you, but whatever that experience was for you, it was like love, you know, just so much love that you were expressing towards her mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that you were sharing with all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about how much she's, she's just shared with the world. How She's like the most generous person I know. And mm. um, so, so loving and kind and people can feel that like, when I was growing up, children would come up to her all the time in the store and like grab her hand that they, she didn't know she's like uh -huh. a safe person in that way where people could see it uh -huh. or feel it from her. And she was a teacher. So it made sense that children uh -huh. did that. And they, I mean, it happened all the time. And I was like, wow. Oh, like they can feel her energy in this way. They can feel her love. Mm. And so she's been such a big, I mean, she is such a big inspiration for me. And wow. um, yeah, so like, yes, it was like, I was sharing my love for her and I was also honoring the love that she's given to us, like the world, right? Um, yeah. Through that expression. I love that. I love the idea of just kids coming up to her and holding her hand. It reminds me of like St. Francis and how the animals would come to him, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, when you're so filled with peace and love, then other people can feel it. It's mm -hmm. amazing. That's amazing. That's my new goal in life, you know, to have kids come <laughs> up and hold my hand. Now, that yeah. might kind of be weird, but. <laughs> but you know, the energy of that. I hear you. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I do. I, I do. Like when I think about animals too, a lot, I mean, in the way I, you know, like, like with you and your bees, you know, I just, I'm, I'm really connected with animals and my garden with plants and just feel like sometimes it's easier to have those relationships than with people, you know, it's just yeah. easier to love a dog that is just so that a dog is just so present and loving by nature and you can just be there with them. You know, it's mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, we're saying this as Jasper is curled up on the um, on his little cushion right Aww. next to me. So. Jasper. <laughs> he's, he's here, loving That's on me. So sweet. 
Yeah, my dog, May, actually, she's not in the room with me, but she, um, it was so interesting. Last night, she really, I could feel like she just wanted to be close to me, like in a way that she doesn't usually do. It's so sweet when animals, I don't know, when you can sense their need to. Mm-hmm. Same with kids. Like, that's what I loved about young children. I and mean, it's harder. My kids are older <laughs> now, yeah. and it's a whole other thing. But like when they were really little, and it's just like, I don't know. There's something so sweet about those years when you can just be present with a child or the baby or an infant and I don't know, take care of them and serve them actually and be loving towards them. I mean, that, that, that's how I got this sense of service is by having to take care mm-hmm. of like infants. Uh, you know, my two kids are infants and, and, um, but there's something so powerful about the experience of being able to love a being like that, you know, like a baby or an mm-hmm. animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that does make me think of service in the way you were talking about it. Like, what if we carried that energy into our interactions with others, right? Folks who are not connected to us or direct, like family, you know, blood lineage, but people yeah. we're interacting with at the grocery store, who, like, cashier at the grocery store. like what if we <sighs> hold that kind of care um, and love that you're, t- I mean, that this is yoga, right? This feels like yoga to me. Yeah, sure. it's hard. You know, p- sometimes people are hard to love and I, I don't know if it's me or that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Can you do that when you go to the grocery store? I mean, sometimes I can, but just loving I mean, people. I think that um, it's what I talked about earlier with shared humanity that I can see my connection with others. Like I can feel that. Yeah. And at times I'm able to, even when someone is doing something to me that may be causing harm, when Mm. I can see the harm and I can still see them too, right? Like you're Mm. behaving in this way and doing this. um, But is it you? Like, is this actually who you are? Like I can do that, um, which feels like a Michelle superpower. Like it really is a like, I can... Mm. I see you. I see all the conditioning. I see all the tapes. I see all mm. the stuff that you've been taught to say. I don't actually believe you came out of the womb this way, but you inherited all of these things, right? Or, or um, chose them in some way or both. Um, but I, when I'm able to do that, I feel like that's, that's like yoga. To me, it feels like I can see you. Mm-hmm. I can feel you. And I know you're mm-hmm. not what you're doing right now and how you're acting. Mm-hmm. So that is what I, I think I can do that. But I think in, like with people, I don't necessarily know if like at the grocery store or just in my neighborhood, you know, walking with Jasper, like it's care and connection that I can yeah. feel. We have this whole thing going on in my neighborhood right now where I have bees. So I've given a bunch of the neighbors honey, I have chickens, I've given them eggs. One of my neighbors came over and brought me a piece of fish the other day. The other neighbor foraged mushrooms and brought them. We have this whole like... Mm. Whole thing. Nice. Like when stuff goes down, our neighborhood will be fun because we're yeah. like feeding each other. You know, that feels yeah. like yoga and service too. In so, so many spaces I've lived, I haven't even known the neighbors, right? Yeah. I haven't even talked to them. So there, there is something about that too. And that support, um, which I, I mean, this is more of what we need to be doing with each other mm-hmm. to be in connection and in deep relationship. In this yeah. Way. I love that. That's so beautiful. I, I can, I think I can help. Like when I'm talking to people who are in, pain if they're struggling i sometimes can help people see that you know that they're more than the pain 
like I, I can relate to what you're saying in that way. Like I, I can definitely, but it's hard when it's directed at me. Like I, I was right. really, that's really amazing that Michelle's superpower of, you know, if the, if the anger or something is directed at me, I, I think my ego gets in the way. But when I see someone who's struggling or someone comes to me with a problem, um, I can usually help them see that they're not that problem. Right. Yeah. Which There's is more. powerful. Yeah. yeah. But that's, that's yoga, right. Is to, mm -hmm. is to live in the, in the both and that you're, you know, you're, you're perfect. You are love. You're in, you know, not untouchable in one mm -hmm. level and the other part of you is struggling and human. Right. Both are, both are true. Both are true for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else you want to share with us, Michelle? I mean, I could talk to you forever. Well, just that for folks who have the first edition, I would say the second edition is like, and then it's a different book and mm. there's more context, more stories. I mean, it's much, it's a hundred page, 120 pages longer. Like it's much longer. It's, um, journaling prompts are there throughout. Um, yeah. and then there's an entire chapter connected to, how we bring this into our space holding or teaching. So there are different, I, different ways that I've done that, that I share. Um, and then there's a resource list as well. So it has more, it has like 10 practices, more practices. So I'd say it's, you know, if people feel like they're going to get the same thing and I wrote like a new introduction, that's not true. <laughs> what happened with this is I, I set out to be like, Oh, what do mm. I want to add? And then I added a whole bunch and changed things. And I would invite people to work with this text now because it's also related to what we are experiencing now. Right. Versus what we were, what my idea of what we were experiencing in 2017. Um, it's updated to like what's happening now yeah. and what's happened in the last few years. So just want folks to know that. Yeah, it is a different book. I read, I read it a few weeks or maybe a month back now when it was just PDF and I haven't seen the hard copy, but I'm waiting. I'm waiting to get one. But I'm really excited about that, that you expanded on it because it feels like in the first edition, it was so potent. And yet there was like, more, I wanted more. I did. Yeah. So I'm just so yeah. relieved and happy and excited um, that this new edition exists. So I hope people will go and buy it. Um, the new edition of skill in action, which I think is out now people can get it. It's, we can put a link in the, now. yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes and, um, and they can also get your other book. They can have a whole, a whole collection of your books. <laughs> Finding refuge is the other one that just came out just recently. July. Right? Yeah. July. <laughs> so, okay. Are you writing a new one? Are you writing a new I've book? I've just finished a draft. Uh, well, I'm, it's almost, yeah. Yes. I've just finished a draft of the next book. So I'm going to be turning that in very soon. So yeah. What? Wait, you finished a draft. So you already wrote the book. You already wrote it. Well, I wrote book. the book and it's actually really almost done. I'm just waiting for one more person to read it. Can you but tell us like, anything about it or is it a big secret? It's not a secret. Um, so, you know, skill in action is like raising consciousness and finding refuge is like, what do I do with this grief now that I know what's going on in the world? The next book is about how we heal together. Um, and all of the practices in it, it has uh, nine chapters, all of the practices in it, they um, are meant to be done in community with others. So it's like rituals and, and mm. there's a whole chapter on joy. There's a chapter about the honeybees and alchemy. Um, there's a chapter about ritual. Um, mm. So it's, I don't know what it will be called, but it's, it's from some work I did around We Heal in Community and coming into community together. 
And so it's, I'm really excited about it because it feels like what we're, what we need to do, right? How do we come together with one another in this way? And what do we want to practice? There's a chapter on like not leaving anyone behind because that was one of the teachings that Mm. my dear friend, Cynthia Brown, who transitioned in 2016 Mm. said as she was transitioning, right? Like it's, inspired by all these different experiences. And it also has some voices of folks or quotes from like interviews I've done with people um, related to the different themes. So I'm very excited about it. Wow. How exciting. Can't believe it. Can't believe you already wrote another one. I just started on another, but it's, it's a lot of work. It just takes so much energy and time. So just amazing. That's incredible. Well, thank you. I hope you have a lot more books coming in the future. I hope that for you too. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast and connecting with me and sharing. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being here. And um, yeah, I hope we can talk again soon. I hope so. Okay. Thanks. Bye, Michelle. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We're so grateful to be in community with you. Please check out our website, accessibleyoga.org, to find out more about our upcoming programs, including our annual Accessible Yoga Conference. At our website, you can also learn more about how to become an Accessible Yoga Ambassador and support the work that we are doing in the world. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also submit a question or suggest a topic or potential guest you'd like us to interview at accessibleyoga.org. See you next time.